Welcome to the Eventualities Podcast, interesting conversations with the people behind our favourite regional festivals and events. We dive into the memorable experiences they create, the unexpected challenges they've overcome and what they've learned along the way. After an international career delivering events for some of the world's biggest brands, Adam Bannister has set out to develop and grow the production management industry in regional Australia. Adam is a champion of living and working regionally and founded Pyrus Event Services from his home in Wagga in 2016. Pyrus is a specialised event agency that offers event technology consultancy as well as production management services. Pyrus clients include the National Gallery of Australia, Charles Sturt University, AgriFutures Australia, Arts Access Australia, Servo Bingo, the New South Wales Tourism Awards, the Regional Australia Institute, Regional Development Australia and Destination Riverina Murray, to name a few. As strong proponents for inclusion, Pyrus is dedicated to ensuring ease of access for all participants at events. Pyrus has also recently launched a new product, Pyrus Connect, that better connects access technologies to virtual, hybrid and live events. Adam provided AV management to the Regional Events Conference in Wagga in 2017, and I've been fortunate to work with him and watch his business grow ever since. Welcome to the Eventualities Podcast, Adam. Thanks a lot, Belinda. It's really nice to speak to you today. Wonderful. And I'm really excited because this is my first in-person podcast since <laughs> I think around <laughs> August 2020. All of them have done been done by Zoom. So here we are face-to-face. Oh, it's fantastic. I think, um, yeah, we're all a little bit bored of Zoom by now, but um, no, great to see you. And it's been um, been a long time since that original um, regional events conference. So um, yeah, it just feels like a lifetime ago now. I know, doesn't it? Another world away. And we might um, get into talking about some of that soon. So I'd like to start start with your background. You were not born in Australia. So I'd love to know a bit about where you grew up and then what got you interested in production management? So I grew up in a town called Great Malvern, which is a um, smallish town in South Worcestershire in the sort of Western side of the UK. Um, my, uh, initial entry to the events and AV and production world was, was purely by chance. I, I finished high school with no real career ambitions or knowledge of what I wanted to do. And sort of, um, by chance had a, um, meeting with a careers advisor and I was quite into music and quite into, um, helping out, um, with theater because a lot of my family comes from a theater background. And by chance, there was a job listing for an entry-level um, sound and lighting technician at a local corporate AV company who um, turned out to be the um, the internal AV team for the Daily Mail group. So very quickly got thrown into heaps and hundreds hundreds per year of small national events you know, all over the country. And it was a real kind of baptism by fire. And um, yeah, yeah, a lot of events ended by about in a very, very short time. Um, but um yeah, from from there, I kind of um, got to grips with the technology, really found a real love for the industry, wanted to progress my career a little bit further and move more into production management. So kept asking at every opportunity for more and more responsibility, more creative projects, more more technical challenges to sink my teeth into, um, which I just loved. I loved um, finding ways of doing things rather than just doing things. So I made my way over to a another company called DRP Group. Um, where I quickly progressed up to be one of their production managers um, and was responsible for the delivery of quite a few events for Jaguar Land Rover, Lloyds Bank, um, started my real kind of European career from there. Um, And then I 
sacked it all off. Decided <laughs> I didn't want to work in dark rooms anymore, <laughs> doing long hours, and decided to go travelling. And that's what brought me to Australia. So just a general, I want to get out of the oh, UK and I, I need to go explore. I had a few things happening in my personal life that weren't very nice, and they kind of give me a bit of a kick to, why don't you just see what else is out there? I had no great hatred of, you know, of events at that time. I've never, you know, I love my industry. I love what I do. But I think I wanted to see what else was out there. And um, yeah, came over to Australia as a backpacker originally, never had any aspirations to stay here, to live here. But I just, yeah, just discovered Wagga and now I've got a, you know, a house and a family and I've got a real life here now. So I'm really, really happy being here. Okay. I just need to go back a bit because <laughs> as a backpacker, like I'm guessing you landed in Sydney. and <laughs> Melbourne, then Oh, Melbourne. Melbourne. Melbourne okay. Yeah. So then you just land in Wagga. <clears throat> How do you come to Wagga? So about the same time as I initially came over to Australia, we also discovered that we've got distant relatives here in Wagga. And it was through visiting them um, that I was first introduced to the place. And then I once made a jokey offhanded comment about, oh, you know, if you want me to stay, you have to find me an Aussie wife. And then they actually set me up on a blind date with my now wife. And it's just... <laughs> the beautiful Mel, um, Mel who yeah. is a journalist at the ABC and is just an absolutely gorgeous girl. So I I love that story. I think it's hilarious. It's um yeah, it's certainly not a life I ever designed, but I'm incredibly happy that it's all fallen into place here. And did you get to travel anywhere else or did you come straight to Wagga when you got off the plane in Melbourne? I saw a little bit of the country, a lot of regional New South Wales. I, I, you know, I absolutely love them. I got the train actually, which was interesting. Um, <laughs> the XPT. Uh, yeah, um, back when it used to run regularly. Um, um, but yeah, I was actually about to pack up and head to head to Perth. I was planning on driving over. Um, but then, yeah, just sort of things started to get serious with Mel. I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'll put that on trip on them, trip on hold and see where this ends up. So, And were you just, um, were you actually working or were you able to, to enjoy a holiday? Oh, I was enjoying having no responsibility or limited responsibility. I was working retail bars. I, I loved it. I, um, yeah, worked at the Thirsty Crow as a, as a bartender for a while, um, you know legendary blogger institution um yeah sort of and then you know i got a bit of an itch when once i knew i was staying there i was like well okay i can't i want to do something i want to i want to you know further my career um became quite apparent that there maybe wasn't the choice of organizations to work for here um so i thought oh okay never had any aspirations to set up my own business but i just thought well i want to do good work and i want to do work the way i want to do the way i want to do it so i set up as a you know, as a contractor freelancer to begin with, which has slowly evolved into this this um, really exciting business, which is Pyrus. That's fantastic. And I think I remember when you first started, you were still um, contracting to some of those international brands. Is that right? When they came over and maybe did events or activations in Australia? Yeah, that's right. So I managed to luckily bring a few clients over with me. Um, when Mel and I first got together, we actually moved back to the UK for 12 months, just as part of a, you know, deciding which hemisphere we wanted to settle in. Um, but I kind of went back to a lot of my old clients over there and managed to form some relationships, which then when I moved back permanently to Australia, um, sort of translated over. So so I brought um, the McLaren automotive contract over with me. Um, so I was the technical provider for their events for the Grand Prix and for Bathurst, um, which was a real kick because it, it was a real helpful in a regional setting to have 
immediate credibility of working with these bigger brands from a regional space. So it gave me a bit of a leg up, I think, in terms of marketing what I do and sort of being able to, you know, a bit of an intro when you're first knocking on the door to go, oh, you know, by the way, you know, I do actually know what I'm talking yes. about. <laughs> I'm not just some random person that's popped up out of nowhere. Yes. There is something here to, to back this up. So it's, yeah, I was I was really lucky to, to be able to transfer those relationships over. And it wasn't easy, you know, going from working in large agencies with large teams and huge, you know, huge internal budgets and you know people and resource everywhere whatever you need you could you could have made for you or you know you need 10 crew at short notice you can just draw on them from your team so transitioning into being a sole trader and you know really having to build those relationships um yourself was a real it was a real struggle and also learning to run a business at the same time because that's not something i'd ever i'd ever um had any experience in or had any real desire to do it just just came out of this necessity and it's it's been a, a very enriching and very um very interesting journey i think i'm just about getting to grips with running the business now growing the business is now the struggle um but yeah the, the running the business is something i've really embraced because um yeah it's just that little bit different to just managing projects all the time so yeah, yeah absolutely um and we're going to talk about i guess what that journey for you has involved since 2017 but i just want to um keep on your earlier years with your business so what kind of events were you doing um you've mentioned the mclaren and working with those international brands but you were also doing some things i guess more closer to home weren't you yeah there was this real disparity i was flying off to these um you know these these huge internationally known events <laughs> metro areas and then you know i also had these aspirations to be you know a really um agile niche premium um av supplier for the riverina and looking back actually it was kind of not a mess but it was like they really were two separate businesses there was me as the you know the uh, the real technical consultant and you know experienced designer and i was also you know running clipboards and speakers in and out of um uh, flip charts and speakers in and out of um conference centers across the riverina so it was um it was this interesting kind of disparity of almost running these two things at once um but that's kind of that's been really really valuable it's been balancing especially working regionally and um you know especially in, in how it's translated recently um into the into the hybrid world is i'm really pleased i've kept my hand in with the on the you know with the hands-on with a lot of the technology because i've not managed to not get behind which was a fear when i moved into production management originally i didn't want to lose my technical skills and purely be a crew manager or a designer or something i really wanted to keep across it but now running a small technical business in a regional area without unlimited resource around me i'm really grateful i've managed to keep keep on top of the technology as well yeah, that's it's really interesting. And how do, did you find it um, beneficial as well? Being in a, I guess, regional community, you rely a lot on the relationships that you build and the networks you make. So was that important for you initially? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I I've never come across a community quite like Wagga, where I've been so eagerly accepted um, so quickly. Um, you know, both in my social life but also in my business life, it's been so easy to find good support like i've got incredible accountants I've got great insurers i've got you know just everything i could possibly need um here and then you know it's the only struggle is finding the specific technical support i need for my events so everything else has been really easy um 
yeah, it's been it's it's been great to you know be involved with things like the business chamber here, which is again something I I always thought was for you know boring old men in suits, <laughs> which I've actually found no, it's actually really engaging. It's given me great networking practice. It's given you know given me lots of um you know potential connections for further collaborations and projects and great suppliers. And it's been um yeah, it's been really nice to actually. Or not be more limited in who you can contact in a regional setting, but you know those connections you make are so much more important. And I've really, I've really enjoyed fostering those relationships rather than them being disposable. You know, I can't go out for sign writing and get eight quotes. You know, I, there's a couple of good people in town. You've got to keep them on side. You've got to collaborate. You've got to really um, work with each other because you know you can't just go next door the next time if the things go sour. So it's 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 kind of keeps everyone accountable, I think, a little bit in a small community. It's nice. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, speaking from experience to get someone like you with your experience and talent and knowledge arrive on our doorstep was just like winning the lottery, really, in terms of <laughs> events, because um, sometimes you don't realise what, you know, that there is a gap till you really need it. And I know, um, you know, that production management, AV side of things, especially when you're talking about business events, it, there was a huge hole. So I know it's not necessarily something you're focusing heavily on now, but I think when you arrived, it was perfect timing um, and people were looking for someone like you. So yes, from experience, we're very happy you arrived in Wagga. <laughs> we're very happy that you met Mel and that you chose to stay here. So thank you. Oh, thank you. It's 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 been fantastic. And even, you know, we're still doing the smaller regional events. Like I love it. I, I just love working regionally. And, you know, and part of that is because, you know, it's – it's nice that people appreciate it, you know, as in, you know, when I was working in Melbourne, I did, I did do some casual stints for some of the big players in Melbourne. You were just, you know, a nameless person in a big crew. Now it's much more personal. And I, I, you know, I've got really good relationships with all my clients here and yeah, I, I love being able to service the market as well. But saying that there are some fast, fantastic other businesses setting up now, which is really great to see. Um, it's great for me to have other people I can contract in for additional support um, but yeah, it's exciting that, you know, Wagga's sort of reaching that tipping point in business events where they're on people's radars a bit more and there is slowly more and more resources and slowly more venues coming to light as well, you know, to make it a real sort of vibrant events hub. And I think it should be. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Regional all the way. Um, so let's fast forward a little bit. It's now March 2020. So in a matter of <laughs> days, your business was completely decimated thanks to the pandemic. Um, so can you talk about this time, your experience and how things have changed since then? Yeah, that that month is forever going to be seared in my mind. I think we were just starting getting real traction. Um and I was actually only a couple of days away from flying down to the to the Melbourne Grand Prix for McLaren again. And as soon as that got cancelled, you know, that client has actually since kind of paused operations in Australia. Um, but along with that, it just shook the industry as a whole. And I must have lost about 95% of my annual turnover in a week. Everything shut wow. down. Um, so, yeah, that was quite traumatizing. But I think it was never a bit of a... There was never anything in me to go, okay, well, I'll just suck it in, get a job or something. It was very much, okay, okay, what are we doing now? Like, Quite luckily, I was, um, I've been doing hybrid events for about 10 years now. Um, not very often, but virtual hybrid isn't something that was completely new to me. So, you know, I think within a couple of weeks, I was running workshops on how to use Zoom and things like that. It was very much like, okay, we've got to do something. Let's see, um, let's see how we go. Um, you know, I I equate a lot of the reasons I survived, well, my business survived that time was living in Wagga. You know, my, Mel was 
on maternity leave with our with our first son and um even me losing all of my turnover living regionally living lean and you know we managed to survive on one maternity wage for quite a few months before anything else started to come in so it was a shock and it was really it was just a you know there's a lot of trying to work out how to proceed but yeah it's been it's been really interesting turning the core of our business into virtual and hybrid um i'm really happy now that we did i've got no great urge to be just doing live events anymore it's um the technology has been embraced and it's a lot more trusted now and i'm actually really enjoying innovating with it and trying new things and you know truth be told it's also quite nice to not travel so much anymore away from a young family um and mel's very grateful for that as well but uh, <laughs> yes <laughs> but yeah it's um it's been a really interesting couple of years like we've we've been faced with a lot of um head scratching and a lot of um saying yes and then figuring out how we do it and i think that you know and that's 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 another skill you know i've come to really trust that trust in um mine and my you know my partners um problem solving skills and you know i know we can get stuff done because i know that's technically feasible we just you know working out actually how to execute is kind of the easy bit it's, it's knowing what's possible and and what's achievable in a budget so it's um yeah it's it's been an interesting couple of years but i'm i'm really pleased to say we're probably three four times the turnover that we were before covid now and, you know, it's actually a much more exciting space to be working in nowadays. Yeah, I, I agree. I remember speaking with you during those first, you know, the, that late period in March in 2020 and both of us were just <laughs> backwards and forwards. How much of you, how much business have you lost? How much have you lost? But I also remember, I think it must have been in early April, jumping on um, an online platform demonstration with you. I think you'd partnered with, you know, a local organisation to do that. And there were a lot of people on there and that was fascinating. And I guess for all of us, it showed that you were out there and you were not letting this, you know, hinder you. As you said, you weren't looking to go out and get another job. You were going to stick with it and make this work. And um, I admire that so much because, you know, most people probably would have just thrown up their hands and said, enough, I'm done. Um, so I guess your whole mentality going into that that was really infectious. And that online demonstration, I know you're not using that system now, but I think it was fantastic, especially for someone like me who works in events. Um, and again, having to rethink my whole, um, you know, way of doing things. So that was a great taster. And I've loved watching what you've done, you know, since then. Um, so what have been some of the challenges when adapting to this new way of working? Like you've talked about some of the positives and I agree, there's not as much travel. You can do a lot more things here. Um, you've learned a lot. You've been able to realize your full potential and that, you know, back yourself because you can do it. But what have been some of the bigger challenges? Uh, I'd say throughout the biggest challenge has been sort of educating my clients as to what's possible and getting them to trust that virtual and hybrid events aren't scary and they're not lesser. They don't work for everything. But those, you know, those those knowledge sharing events or those, you know, short and sharp um, artistic festivals or things like that, they they can be really and really effective tool to either supplement live events, or that, um, you know, they, I've seen some events now, even even now as we're just starting to come out of COVID, um, they've already committed. Oh, we're never going back to hosting. They need to organise venues. They need to organise catering. Um, they're increasing their reach. Uh, but I think that was by far the hardest thing was just getting people to trust that. And in the early days, it was very, very hard because, you know, you don't have so many examples to draw on. But I think um, we've made real progress with a lot of people to go, look, no, just just trust this, you know, give it a go. Let's, let's really work with you to make sure that um, 
you know what the experience is going to be so you can relay that to your audiences and to your presenters properly um that education piece has by far been the hardest thing um you know the uncertainty of rolling lockdowns and things like that haven't helped at all but we've always had that fully virtual product as well um but um yeah yeah it, it can be quite grueling when people keep pushing back to you and going well no we tried that and it didn't work i said well did you try it or did you just you know put something together on zoom yourselves and you know if we can really work we can foster networking we can foster you know real value for your exhibitors we can we can really work to um to counter a lot of these fears that people have a virtual um it's just you need to put a bit of faith in us and 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 really work with us to to um to bring that to life yeah i completely agree and i i'm sure you would back up that once people have dip their toe in the water and tried a hybrid or fully virtual model, they completely see the benefits that you've just outlined 100%. and are happy to, as you said, um, continue that or just stick with that, even though now we are going back into, you know, in-person events. Most of them now are incorporating at least hybrid into that model. Yeah, very much so. And, and, you know, it's almost flipped the other way now. If people are incorporating hybrid, then they don't, they're trying to think why. They're just, <laughs> just like, well, quick, how are we going to, what are we going to do for this? What are we going to bring to them? I think, but, you know, it's, you know, it's, I think my biggest takeaway for, for this whole virtual rollout is, you know, if you speak at a virtual conference, just tell me you don't get nervous ahead of time, just like you would stepping onto stage. It's an experience running how, you know, regardless of how you're connected to it, you can share experiences this way. Um, you don't need to think of it as lesser all the time, which which unfortunately some people still are. Um, but I think it's um, it's about setting the right expectation for the right style of event it's not a it's not a band-aid for everything yeah agree and is um i guess just keeping on the challenges for a bit longer i want to talk about staffing and resourcing (laughs) so you've said that your business has just you know grown incredibly over the last two years so how have you found that um, yeah, it is still difficult finding people and resource, um, particularly locally. Um, I do always like to try and work with locals or, you know, convince people from out of town to move to Wagga. Um, <laughs> I tell you, I'm the biggest cheerleader. I always try to get people to move over. But, um, you know, finding suppliers for the biggest budget, you know, conferences and stuff is not a problem. You can buy you can buy agencies off the shelf and they'll come and help you. And, you know, they're, they're happy to do that. A lot of the work we do is, you know, maybe in the art sector or in, in a lot of smaller educational events, maybe where they haven't got the big budgets. So getting the support to fit within those budgets can often be a bit challenging. So we just had to pick up a lot more skills in house and, you know, enroll with it. We, you know, we set up event platforms for people now that we wouldn't have done in the past. You know, we were purely live AV delivery. Um, it has been a challenge finding that support. And, you know, you talk about stick with it is and whatever it's called you know i've even had a few really strong strategic partners have stepped out of the business in recent months this kind of last quarter here the start of 2022 has been really tough on a lot of people because it was kind of like a surprise lockdown that wasn't really a lockdown um i myself have lost about 16 events in these three months um just because you know that everyone came back after christmas really scared of covid again and um yeah mass mass cancellation and postponements but um that's unfortunately been the kind of nail in the coffin for a couple of good suppliers so you know w- it takes me a long time to build these relationships up and it's it's a bit of a treadmill at the moment of finding the right people for for long term partnerships um yeah so if anyone wants to <laughs> We'll put Adam's details in the show notes. Um, And something I just want to ask quickly is 
In terms of the work required from your end, is it much of a muchness to do a virtual event from your side as opposed to an imp- a fully in-person event? Like what's that? Um, has there been a shift in that or is it a similar workload? Um, it's probably a lot more um, front heavy almost in the pre-production phase. Um, you know, there'd be a lot more consultation and a lot more um, meetings for a virtual because you know, we're not just providing the live experience on the day, we're providing the venue and providing the expo and we're providing everything. So we really would work with a client very early day, much earlier than we normally would um, to help kind of shape shape how that conference would look on the day or that ex- or whatever the event was. Um, so that, that's been interesting as well. We, we're having a lot more touch points with people a lot earlier in the process, which is great because, we, you know, we've we've seen a lot of things go well and, you know, go not so well. So to be able to offer that insight to what it's going to look like, you know, six months down the track rather than just getting involved a couple of weeks out, um, it's been it's been really fun actually to help craft some of these events a little bit closer. Um, yeah, that's, that's probably the biggest difference between virtual and live. I'd say... A hybrid hybrid events are probably some of the hardest things to to nail. Um, it's really tricky balancing experiences between online and in the room um, participants and attendees, but also, you know, sharing that experience with online and in, in room presenters as well. You know, it's that that's the they're the hardest things to do um, just to to execute them well and to to do a true hybrid event where everyone can really participate to the fullest. Um, those timelines are, are, are absolutely mess to be honest, because quite, quite often you're having to do site visits very early to have very specific requirements for the room setups and you know network conditions on the day and how you're connecting to the internet. Um, so yeah, we're finding that they're pretty grueling in terms of pre-work, and I think we'd actually underestimated doing hybrid regularly how how actually draining and quite resource heavy that can be. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's definitely where the future is though, and it's, it's where we're enjoying. So I don't, I don't mind doing that extra work. It's just um, yeah, it's great sharing that experience and surprising people when um, oh, you mean I can actually network with the people online when I'm sat in the, in a chair? It's yeah, it's it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. Thank you. So it sounds like you've become really passionate about accessibility in the events world over the last few years. Can you talk to this? Yeah, it's um. It surprised me, to be honest. It's, it's not something I ever, I ever dreamed I'd be um, talking about or, or specifically working on. Uh, back when, um, back when COVID initially hit, I was also um, doing a part-time coordinator role for Eastern Referina Arts in Wagga on their um, platform project, which was a uh, NDIA-funded initiative to um, help improve the accessibility of regional festivals. And particularly around the Riverina, but you know, it covered a couple of things: training for organisers, a sense, a portable sensory chill-out space that you could you could bring along to your event, um, and uh, as well as curated um, performances from from artists with disability. Um, so that was kind of probably about a third of the way delivered, and then COVID hit, and obviously there was no festivals for quite a while. Um, so that. That pivoted, which as much as I hate that word, it very much did pivot. Um, it pivoted to Platform Live, which was one of the first of its kind um, virtual arts festivals kind of by, for, and about artists with disability. We were tasked with delivering um, an incredibly accessible um, virtual event, which it actually turns out had never been quite done in that way before. 
So we had, I think, we 18, 20 or so live performances and, and speakers throughout the day, um, each with their own distinct accessibility requirements, as well as a very diverse audience watching as well. Um, so we, we had kind of multiple, multiple things to juggle there. And God, it was hard. <laughs> oh my God, it was just, you know, doing like, you know, First time I'd worked with live Auslan interpretation, live captioning and live audio description, as well as all of this, you know, it was kind of like, you know, you've been doing a bit of virtual for a couple of years now, but let's just do the hardest thing you can possibly imagine. Um, and, you know, we had, you know, things went wrong. We lost audio description for a while. We, you know, we, we had a few choppy connections, you know, and we had RMC at one point, you know, she lost her connection. So it, it was all... Um, yeah, it was one of the hardest, hardest events I've ever had to deliver. And again, you know, being regional arts, you know, the budget wasn't huge. So it was basically just me and a couple of, other, you know, a couple of other casuals. Um, but that kind of just fostered in me this, this really quite belligerent idea of, well, no, hang on. No, it has got absolutely no excuse to be that difficult. What can we do about that? And, you know, from from the work within within the platform project initially, and then obviously what we did into platform live, we kind of just realised that there is this real gap in terms of accessibility in in events of all sorts, whether it's you know festivals on the ground or whether it's virtual events, or you know as we move into the hybrid area, even harder challenges to solve there. Um, and we kind of you know sort of kept that ticking over in our brains, thinking what can we do about that? And then the National Gallery reached out. Um, uh, with um they'd seen me speaking at a accessible arts talk and they had a conference in my the know my name conference which um was in november 2020 and they wanted everything they wanted that full package again but this time not just a stream not just a arts festival this was a, a fully featured conferencing with networking requirements and expert and everything wow um so it was like okay right there's we need to take this seriously so uh we i think we had about eight weeks to deliver um oh. you know a lot of these techniques you know we'd been doing a little bit um since then and just sharpening up some of the um the technical stuff in the back end but to deliver that you know for i think it was a four-day conference you know fully fully featured remote present everything um but also to broadcast from the gallery was um was incredibly difficult and it's it's just really given like a real meaty problem to really try and try and nail it's kind of put a bit of a light underneath us to be honest just go come on let's just really really focus on this how can we make it easier how can we make it cheaper how can we make it you know because you know even the solution we came up for the for the gallery you know most people couldn't afford that as, as as an addition to their you know event budgets so um that was the start of really thinking there's something there there's a real problem that needs solving um and it's just sort of spiraled since then into this um, Paris Connect platform, which is a very packaged up, very standardized, very streamlined, efficient way of connecting and access to live events. Um, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, you've just mentioned um, Paris Connect, so I will touch um, quickly. Over the last few months, Pyrus has entered and won numerous national awards, including the 2021 Innovate with MBN grant in the arts category. So this grant will go towards your new digital innovation um, and you're trying to do that to make the events industry more accessible. You are also a winner of Best Innovation, New Product or New Service at the Australian Event Awards. We're looking at the beautiful trophy now. Um, the award was for the giant leap forward you took in accessibility with when delivering the Know My Name conference that you've just referenced. 
You were also finalist for Best Technical Achievement in a Virtual Event at the Australian Event Awards. So congratulations. <laughs> That's amazing that you also found the time to enter these awards because awards um, are generally very time-consuming to enter. So can you talk about the process um, and what entering and then winning these awards has meant for yourself and for the business? Thank you. Yeah, I think um, it was actually our project partners on the Know My Name platform, Advise, that really put the idea of entering those Australian Event Awards in. They... Um, you know, as as we should, we should always learn to speak, I think, a bit more about what we do and make a bit more of a fuss about it. But you know, I kind of I kind of saw it as a big achievement for for that client, what we did for Know My Name in particular. Um but you know, you kind of think, oh, maybe the interest is gonna stop there. But we 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 persevered persevered and applied for these awards and you know, to actually win and become a finalist, no both for that same event, was pretty mind blowing that you know, actually the industry cares about this stuff. You know, this is, this isn't, it's not the biggest shiniest virtual event that had happened. It wasn't the, you know, the biggest budget or wasn't the, you know. Most glamorous or anything like that. But it was just around, you know, we managed to include such a diverse set of people in the live environment. um, And that really resonated with people and going through those, uh, that awards process and, you know, putting it into words and, you know, Speaking about it afterwards, really cemented that you know what, actually we were working on something really, really important here, and it's it's been great to have a real focus that's a bit more away from our normal corporate, you know, corporate delivery because so much of what we do is selling something for someone, which is which is great. You know, we're good at doing those kind of events, but at the same time, it's it's really nice to have a not quite a pet project, but a real passion project to to become our own kind of sort of little legacy, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. And you're really yeah. making it your niche. Um, yeah, just congratulations because I also know having entered some of those awards before that you often, th- oh, I don't know if you do, but sometimes you think, oh, I'm just based in little old Wagga or, you know, a regional area. What hope have I got against when you said you're up against some of those big, big players with huge budgets and endless resources? So um, I guess I'm feeling doubly proud that someone <laughs> from the regions has entered and taken out um, the award for such an amazing, you know, an inclusive event. So well um, done and you've given us all hope. <laughs> do it in the year of COVID as well we're really proud of that kind of if that's what's deemed as kind of that best innovation of that that initial um initial pivot phase after COVID then just we, we were we were so bowled over and yeah it was um I think we ever screamed quite as loud as when it was announced. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you deserve to. So let's stay on accessibility can you explain what an accessible event looks like? Yeah wow it's um that is a that is a question that would take days to answer. <laughs> I think I, I think I think the thing is with accessibility and with especially you know I, I can relate quite strongly to this thought process is no one's an expert at accessibility. You can only really speak to your own experience. Um, I come from a place of no lived experience of disability. I have no formal training in accessibility the way to think about accessibility for me and what an accessible event looks like is you're just trying to remove as many barriers to entry as possible and to participation as possible. So it's a really hard thing to sum up in a sentence, but I think um, an accessible event is one that you've at least shown that you are making your thought about someone else's experience and you've made some effort to address issues they may have in terms of, in terms of participating. Um, yeah, I, I'd say you could you could do a lot with absolutely no budget, 
but also some of these things are quite expensive. You know, you look at the work we do in terms of live captioning and Auslan interpretation, you know, there's a budget associated with those things. You know, if you're going to work with professional interpreters and captioners and audio describers, you know, they need paying for their time. And um, But that's not the be all and end of what accessibility is. Accessibility is, is very much just making sure that people can interact with what you're doing. Um, and those add-on services are only a really small part of that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. That was really well put. Are you able to provide some first steps that event organisers could consider um, with regards to making their events more accessible? Yeah, there's, um, frankly, there's hundreds of things you can do, um, but no one's expecting you to do hundreds of things. I don't think it's um, a good way to think about how you can make your events more accessible is to just provide choice to people with how they're going to interact with the event or how they're going to sign up to the event or how they're going to you know, hear about it in the first place. Um, really simple things such as, um, you know, providing an alternative to a web form to be able to buy a ticket or to register, you know, give them a phone number to text or to, you know, to, to ring up and, and book over the phone. You know, some of these things take a small amount of effort, but can make a really, really huge, um, impact on, on someone else's experience. Um, another, another really large thing to do is if you are providing any access services or if you are looking to um or if you've made an effort to say have a have a um you know a large format um flyer made up make it very publicly available and visible that you're providing these things so they know they're welcome people know that people need to know that they're welcome that they're being they're being catered for um, there's there's a whole gamut of obviously standards and um, things you can follow for in-person events, but it's very much the wild west of digital and online at the moment. And I know that the the web standards are, are being upgraded and assessed at the moment in terms of virtual meetings and, and hybrid meetings. Um, there's a big consultation going on at the moment for that. Um, but it's simple things like good color contrast, you know, mm. platform selections that have been reviewed for um, screen reader compatibility. You know, I, I will think about that when I'm even just using um, tools in the room for engagement, say for live events. It's There are so, so many things to do. But I think as long as you're thinking about what that other person's experience is going to be, you can quite often come up with a lot of the, um, a lot of the um, solutions by yourself. Mm. Um when all that's said and done, the, the most powerful thing you can really do to improve the access of your event is to invite first-hand experience into your event planning process. So whether that's, you know, you ahead of a large festival, you pull together a, a team of um, consultants from the community, you know, with a variety of lived experience of different types of disability or different access requirements. Um because there's nothing better than hearing it from from people that you may be excluded in the past and didn't know about. You know, how many people actually go out and try and speak to the people that didn't come to their events in the past, you know, as part of your market research or as you're, you're planning for future years. Um, putting together a, and very importantly, a paid committee of, uh, <laughs> of people because, you know, this is valuable experience you're going to be getting, you're going to be selling more tickets. That that knowledge really, really has a value. Um put together a group of people that can, that, you know, and I'm sure people would welcome the chance to help you work on your access plans. Um, but also just don't think it's in the too hard basket. Small steps make a huge, huge difference. Things like, yeah, things like that registration process being more accessible. And, you know, if you're in a virtual space, you know, have a ticket that you click on a link and it just opens the platform for you. You don't have four other stages of registration to go through once you've done that. It can really put people off um, 
one other major issue I would say is um, pre-event anxiety amongst um, people living with various forms of disability. It's, you know, you really got to let people know ahead of time what their experience is going to be. Having something that you can provide people with ahead of time to prepare them for what they're going to experience and what is going to be asked of them will go a long, long way for them to be able to make their own educated choice as to whether it would be suitable for them. Um, obviously, if you're providing certain services, um, highlight those very heavily as part of that as part of that briefing process. But also maybe invite people in a little bit early if they need a bit more time to adjust, um, or you know, offer an alternative for um, a catch up afterwards for on demand content for whatever your type of event you have. You know, very easy to work in surely into contract for presenters and speakers to go. Well, this is going to be recorded but kept for a couple of days just to allow those people that need a bit more time, time to absorb this content and um, and participate as fully as, as, as everyone else in the audience. It's, um, it's, it's, quite, um, it's quite an important thing to have those catch-ups available. Um, um, you know, some, a lot of people can't. I either sit at a computer and participate all day, but a lot of people also just get very tired watching, a, watching something all day on screen. And we all get Zoom fatigue. Like how many times have we sat through something, you know, all day online and felt absolutely drained by the end of it? Um, it's very important to be able to sometimes just digest that at your own pace. So, um, yeah, that's a very, very easy fix. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. you there um, really got me thinking. And as you said, some of those are really quite easy to implement. Um, and at the end of the day, I think we just need to start because, you know, otherwise it's one of those things that you put in the too hard basket and it really shouldn't. And as you've mentioned, um, think of the audience that um, we're not involving because we're not implementing it. So I just think it's something we can all take away and start doing tomorrow. I'd say it's probably a stronger move to just get started and do something and build on that then try and do everything at once, get burnt out and think, oh, that's too hard. We're never going to try it again. Small steps will make a huge, huge impact for a really large variety of your audience. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. So can an event ever be totally accessible? Uh, no, <laughs> in a word. <laughs> um, you know, however hard you try, and trust me, I've tried. We've been we've been tasked with events in the past that, that have asked for total accessibility and you've always got to you've always got to knock that down straight away it's you're never ever going to be able to make something fully accessible for someone for everyone i should say um there's just too many things to to balance you know what actually can be really beneficial for one person can be very detrimental to someone else you've really got to find a happy medium so as a result don't beat yourself up about if it's not perfect because it's never going to be perfect you just that's unobtainable um you know we found a huge uptick in people um, that, you know, maybe have mobility issues or can't travel so well um, coming to virtual and hybrid, but balance that with, you know, severe issues of digital poverty, you know, how do you, in how do you include people that haven't, you know, can't have the latest and greatest in technical, you know, technical equipment? Um, how do you balance those competing, um, competing priorities? So no, basically. And that, that's a good thing, I think, because it just means you don't wait until it's perfect to do it. You just got to get started because it's never going to be perfect. It's a really um, it's a really guiding force with us is don't wait till it's absolutely perfect. Um, just make an improvement today and keep going tomorrow. Yeah, that's really good advice. Thank you. So before we wrap up, I'd love to know what's in store for Pyrus over the next 12 months. Um, so yeah, this Pyrus Connect platform that's launching is um, it's going to take up a lot of our brain power. I think over the next twelve months or so, it's um, 
It's a really interesting product that's designed to sort of alleviate a chronic access provider shortage in regional areas, um, but it's also designed to bring the technical costs and overheads down significantly for um, integrating this technology with events. You know, traditionally you'd have to you know have a full bespoke broadcast team on site with multiple different streams being generated, and you bring those interpreters to the you know to a venue, and you might have to ship them in from one of the capital cities depending on availability. You know, it, for a short, short event, it's just completely unaffordable. So we we are really focusing on that in the next twelve months. It's just getting that even more streamlined, even more you know flexible, because that's the thing. No two events are ever the same either. So we need to be flexible to work with those. That's the focus of the next year is getting this product really, really polished and um, and getting it out there. It's um it's been in the works since that very first um, um platform live project. You know, way over two years ago now, two and a half years ago. So yeah, it's been in the works since that very first sort of platform live project. And a lot of what we learned on that one is directly fed into um, into this project, which, you know, I'm really pleased to say it's it's so much easier to, <laughs> to do this stuff nowadays. But as a result, we can do it at the absolute fraction of the price. You know, it's a permanent studio that's set ready just to do event accessibility. That's all it does and that's all it ever will do. It's there waiting Um just there's no setup time it's just very much connects and off we go so um yeah i'm I'm really i'm really pleased to get that out into into the wild and um yeah that's gonna be the main focus but also you know we're we're not neglecting our our, our sort of mainstream um conference delivery as well you know we love hybrid conferencing so i know we've got a few events coming up together over mm. the next year or so um and you know it's it's nice to be you know as much as it's nice in in the virtual world to be staying home it's also nice to get out a little bit and um see a bit more of the country um yeah so really sort of focusing on on polishing our service delivery now that the the unpredictability is starting to sort of ease off a little bit in the market so yeah, and I've seen your calendar. You're really yeah, it's busy. Carnage. You've yeah. got a lot yeah. of travel, um, and you're also doing a trip home, aren't you, to yes. see your oh. family, which you haven't, yeah. you haven't seen for a long time. No, so most of my family haven't met my little boy. He was born, you know, um, a few months before, well, six months or so before COVID hit. So yeah, it's it's been hard to turn down quite a few big projects, but um, at the same time, you know, it's it's life. You've got to you've got to take the time. So yeah, we're going back to the UK for six months, uh, six weeks or so. Please don't go for six months. <laughs> no, six, <laughs> six weeks, weeks or so, and yeah, it's um, yeah, it's going to be a nice pause. I think it's after after a lot of hustle over the last couple of years. It's going to be a really nice reset and you know proper family time and. Yeah. Oh, family first. Yeah. It'll be great. And I'm so excited to see Pyrus Connect launch because I think what you're doing in that accessibility space is it's really game changing for a lot of people. So yeah, we'll be watching this space. Okay. We're going to wrap up with our quick fire behind the scenes questions. <laughs> now, some of these might be hard to answer because we haven't really been eventing in real life for a while, but let's see how we go. So what's the last event you went to? Oh, I went to a fantastic um, small business month event last week for the Wagga Wagga Business Chamber. Um, we're out at Food I Am, um, amazing um, culinary school and events venue out overlooking the hills around Wagga. Absolutely beautiful, but great speakers. Nice to be out networking again. Um, yeah, meeting some, met some you know surprising new businesses I hadn't come across at the chamber before. Just nice to be back with that business community I talked about earlier, just, just back in the midst of it all. It was, um, yeah, it was, it was really nice to kind of feel those kind of return to normal almost in that way. Yeah. Nice. Okay. And to finish your favorite thing about the festivals and events industry. Definitely 
the relationships you build along the way. I know that sounds really cheesy, but there's nothing like being embattled with a maybe a difficult client with a really short deadline and just having to deliver something that, to really bond a team. Um, I utterly adore the relationships you end up with um, in this industry. You you end up with small extended families all over the country. It's um yeah, it's it's the people for sure. It's, it's I love it. I love that answer. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for your time, Adam. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Um, and even though I thought I knew you pretty well and we've travelled together, I actually learned some things. So there you go. Um, but I'll definitely put contact details for you in the show notes um, and maybe some links to some of those, um, you know, programs and resources that we've referenced throughout because I think people may find those interesting. So thank you so much and best of luck over the next 12 months. Thank you. Lovely to talk. Thank you for listening to the Eventualities podcast. Subscribe for future episodes and the best way you can support us is by leaving a review which helps others find the podcast. 